Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. From our global headquarters in State College, Pennsylvania, it's the AccuWeather Podcast. Here's your host, Regina Miller. Thank you for joining us for this week's episode of the AccuWeather Podcast. I'm sitting here with Ken Prowl and Andy Robb, and we've all been bracing for Hurricane Michael and its impacts on the western panhandle of Florida. And, uh, you know, we've had people out for the AccuWeather Network, including Reed Timmer, who we've talked to so often, down there covering the storm. You guys were talking to him a little bit earlier on, right? Well, yeah, he's been out covering the storm down there in Florida. He was out uh, earlier today, actually overnight, uh, he was out with storm chaser Mike Tice, and uh, they were out there getting ready for the storm with the HERV, which is the uh, Hurricane Eyewall Research Vehicle. So here's a little bit of Reed's report from overnight. This is the meteorologist Reed Timmer, live from Panama City Beach here, and I am with the HERV. That's the Hurricane Eyewall Research Vehicle. We're headed right now to deploy this on top of a bridge in advance of some tornadic supercells that are headed this way in the outer bands of this hurricane. We've seen frequent lightning all morning so far since about 1 a.m. in these outer bands of a hurricane that's rapidly intensifying. It's a category four storm now with maximum sustained winds of about 140 miles an hour. So the storm is only about 60 miles offshore. So we're gonna head inside the herve and deploy this and then head back to our safe place. It's got the anemometer mast on the back. That will be straight up measuring real-time wind speed inside. And here is Storm Chaser Mike Tice. Built the Herve, custom built the Herve. Sure did. Just for events like this, this could be a historic event. Panhandle has never seen a hurricane like this strength. So we'll be here with the Herve to record the winds. The equipment's calibrated, and so we'll see what we get. Uh, we're gonna deploy right now, and we're right in ground zero, and we'll just uh, we'll see what happens here in the next few hours. Landfall's imminent. Got our helmets, yeah. got life jackets, got rope. We have enough food for seven to 10 days. Battery power, generators, equipment, everything. We got it all, we're ready. All right, let's so, go deploy. Got our team together. We're gonna deploy the Herve and uh, see what it records. Well, it's a real-time wind speed coming in here. And this hurricane is likely gonna be the strongest to ever hit the Florida Panhandle. Data like this is gonna be very important to collect. That's why Mike, Mike custom built the Herve here. Yeah, that's why we built the herb because you wouldn't be able to drive around in, in very strong winds, so we're able to penetrate that eye wall and, and uh, get these wind measurements. And uh, we'll go back to the, another location, a concrete shelter, and uh, document the hurricane. The tornado threat's really the big issue now as these outer bands start to approach. We've seen lightning since about 1 in the morning, and they're super cellular. They have well-defined rotation on radar, and those will be spiraling ashore. So right now, it's just heavy rain so far but then when those mesocyclones pass by the wind will really ramp up with that tornado threat and then the well in advance of the core of the hurricane so that's a pretty dangerous part of these hurricanes is on the north and northeast quadrants of these storms you ought to get shear that lines up perfectly 
for tornadoes and a hurricane like this that's intensifying where you have these convective outer bands with supercells lined up um, it's just not a good situation of course there's the big eye circle coming right at us so we're probably going to get that ring that wraps around the the eye called the eye wall and that's most likely going to come right over our location we're in panama city beach florida right now this whole area here will be underwater later on this afternoon when the core of the hurricane comes in and that storm surge is going to come in fast and furious it's going to be a catastrophic surge Stay tuned to the uh, AccuWeather Network. We'll continue to keep you updated as conditions evolve. We want to get the herb deployed in ahead of these uh, supercells that are in the outer bands that are heading towards the shoreline. We've seen a lot of lightning with this storm, especially overnight, one, two, three in the morning. Frequent lightning offshore. And um, it's only going to get worse. Conditions are going to uh, evolve rapidly different than Hurricane Florence, which is a very slow-moving storm that was stalling out. It was also weakening as, as it was coming in. This storm is accelerating and intensifying with the big-time wind and the storm surge, the big problem here. Near and just to the right of the eye, there's probably going to be a 13 to 15-foot storm surge somewhere. You got to go up there, right? Again, we're in the Herb, which is an armored vehicle, custom-built to uh, withstand the winds inside these powerful hurricane so it's basically built to measure the wind speed inside storms exactly like this we're about to deploy it right on top of this bridge just off to my left Be fully exposed to the wind here Beach right now deploying the Hurricane Eyewall Research Vehicle or the HERV. Extend the anemometer mass. We've got winds that are starting to be tropical storm force here right along the beach. They're out of the northeast right now as well here in Panama City Beach. And the wind is only going to ramp up big time. Uh, this thing looks nasty on satellite. And when this hurricane comes in later on this afternoon, winds could easily gust. 175 miles an hour, maybe even in that eye wall. It's hard to pass that. Here's Mike extending the mat. Winds are starting to pick up already. We're to hold this pole up. The winds are starting to pick up. Got some strong gusts going on. And this is all in the beginning. Rain's picking up. Got a fully closed location here. The winds are right off the water. And the anemometer are right up there. Panama City Beach with the winds uh, starting to increase dramatically. The conditions are beginning to deteriorate, but they're going to be nothing like they will be four or five hours from now when that compact eye wall comes ashore. Winds gusting up to 175 miles an hour, especially just to the south of Panama City. Areas like Mexico Beach down towards St. Joe will have an absolutely dangerous, dangerous storm surge. That tornado threat should also ramp up as we begin to get convection rotating around in the outer bands. I'm definitely watching that direction. That's where the tornadoes have come from. Very different than Florence. This is a faster moving storm, a much storm. It's going to come in fast. The storm surge will come 
the ocean out there, but then once this eye comes in, it's gonna come in fast and furious about four or five hours. That surge and wall of water will come up and over these dunes. Normally there's a pretty standing beach out here, but already you start to see that water coming up. Coming up a lot faster, you can see it's already starting to hit the edge of the dune there. Dangerous rip currents out here as well. You can already start to see some damage here even to the fence line further down. Just getting started. So this is a really compact storm as well, so you already kind of see the dark sky there off in the distance. High tide is at 150 convey the seriousness of this storm. This thing's coming in as strong category four, maybe even a category four like category five storm. Those are just minor specifics. It's coming in with catastrophic impacts out here across the Florida Panhandle. Again, I'm at Panama City Beach, Florida here, with a bit of an offshore flow, but when that eye comes closer, if it does wobble to the west, evolves. Stay tuned to AccuWeather. Storm Chaser Reef Timmer in the peak of the eyewall here. Winds gusting over 140 miles an hour now at Panama City Beach. We've got wind shifting from northerly now back over to the westerly again. Pressure is down about 945 millibars here. Official landfall just off to the east in Mexico Beach. Our vehicle is rocking big time right now up and down here as these westerlies are ripping down the strip. The main drag here of Panama City Beach. Again, we're right on the eastern tip, so that eye is only about 10, 15 miles minimum just off to the east, and you can truly feel the power of this Category 4 hurricane out here. And, you know, we're so uh, thankful to have Reed out there investigating these storms and keeping us up to date on what's happening and keeping people safe. Yeah, great reporting from uh, everybody here at AccuWeather, the entire AccuWeather team right now. Right, and there's been a lot to talk about because uh, Hurricane Michael came on shore uh, between Panama City and Mexico Beach uh, Wednesday afternoon at the time we've been recording this. And, and uh it actually had some wind reports so far that have come in. We may hear some higher amounts, but uh, Tyndall Air Force Base in western the western panhandle, 129 mile per hour gust wow. reported there. Uh, Port St. Joe in uh, western Florida there, 113 miles per hour. We've had some uh, water spouts reported just west of Cedar Key. So this is a significant storm expected to really cause catastrophic issues uh, for Apalachicola bay with the storm surge there but then it's expected to move up and well we know it's going to be moving up into the carolinas wow um and so this is an area the last thing they need last thing they need because you know we talked to jonathan petromala when he was down there with right. the folks mm -hmm. just trying to to you know get their lives back together yeah and, and now, now this, this yeah. 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 And so some of the issues that they're uh, going to be facing there is we already have 
the weakened trees and so we're expecting uh, down trees, power lines, all that kind of thing uh, with the 40 to 60 mile per hour gusts, but it won't take much because you've got like the root rot, mm -hmm. it's been so wet, and then we're looking at four to eight inches of rainfall. Just heavy there. driving rain too. Right, very heavy rainfall coming down there. So, you know, unfortunately, you know, that's for uh, Thursday into Friday along the Carolinas. So uh, they are bracing for that storm and we just continue to hope for uh, some recovery for them. Absolutely and stay on top of the storm um, with the AccuWeather Network on DirecTV, uh, Verizon Fios, uh, AccuWeather.com uh, download the AccuWeather app, uh, check don't us forget out to, on Facebook and don't forget to follow uh, at Breaking Weather on mm -hmm. Twitter uh, for the latest and also check out our extreme meteorologist Reed Timmer as well. Right, no shortage of information yes. out there from AccuWeather. And we actually have a couple other topics we're going to get to in this podcast as well. Right. Uh, we are going to be talking about a different kind of storm uh, with meteorologist Jeff Cornish because we recently had a really weird October tornado outbreak across the Northeast. Yeah, just a few weeks ago. So we'll find out some more about that and uh, maybe talk a little bit about some fall foliage as well coming up too. Well, I'm joined in the studio now by Jeff Cornish, meteorologist for the AccuWeather Network, and you're actually joining me in the studio this time. In the time. studio. Yeah, I'm glad to be in here. You guys let me into the, the cool room here in the building. Never, <laughs> Are we the cool kids? This huh? is the cool, I'm hanging out with the cool kids today. <laughs> this is a, yeah, your third time being on the AccuWeather podcast, and the first time you're actually physically here in the studio. It's true. Amazingly, I was west of the Mississippi River the first two times, New Mexico on the wildfire patrol. And then on vacation in Kansas last time. Right, right. Yeah. So this time we have you in-house. And you happen to be working uh, the first week of October uh, on the network tracking storms and the severe storms that we got in parts of Pennsylvania, New York, and also up into Connecticut with the tornado uh, warnings that were out all over the place. So can you talk to me about that a little bit? Yeah, this was an extremely unusual event for this time of the year. Um, and uh, in some ways, at least by some metrics, it was unprecedented for the modern era uh, when it comes to the number of tornadoes that were confirmed uh, in uh, the state of Pennsylvania. And uh, it also impacted, there was severe weather in New Jersey. We had some damaging winds there uh, and uh, tornadoes that were also confirmed into Connecticut and uh, southeastern parts of New York State as well. Real populated areas uh, with uh, four of these in the New York metro area. Uh, if you include Southwest Connecticut. You know, it's been a, a long summer for us as we've continued on with the heat and the humidity. Uh, even uh, early this week, uh, it's been very muggy. And very I know, humid. it's been so sticky. That's the one thing we can't seem to catch a break from this year. No, we can't seem to. Although, uh, as some of you are listening to this, as we get deeper into the weekend here in early parts of the third week, at least there are changes that are finally rolling in. But uh, it has been a really stubborn uh, ridge that we just can't seem to get rid of across the East Coast. And uh, right now, there are many areas as we speak early this um, in the second week of October. Many areas are in, you know, you look at weather stats, and the top 10 percentile of, uh, of dew point for this time of the year across about uh, 15 to 20 states east of the Mississippi River. Very, very warm, very muggy as well. What, what were the contributing factors to this tornado outbreak that we ended up with? What all was uh, part of that? Well, we had a front coming in from the west, and we have many fronts in a typical October. Uh, so it was a cold front, and it was a, a dip in the jet stream that uh, was not the most pronounced thing that we've ever seen, just a small uh, trough that uh, had a, an accompanying cold front, uh, and it rolled into an area with some instability. We talk about instability, that contrast of, uh, of a warm, humid air near the ground in sharp contrast with much colder air upstairs. There was some instability uh, and uh, a lot of wind shear. 
and that was the biggest factor in this, the, the very significant amount of wind shear that we had. Uh, looking at uh, the way the wind was blowing from the south and even south-southeast at the ground level in many areas out in advance of this front, and then a strong wind from the west overhead. Uh, and when you get updrafts to, to lift and there's a lot of uh, wind shear in place, you can begin to get that twisting motion in the atmosphere that can sometimes breed tornadoes. Uh, the unusual thing about this, and sometimes these borderline weather events are really challenging to forecast, this was borderline when it comes to the uh, amount of instability. You know, we were warm near the ground, but not off the charts warm. Right. Um, and the same, the same trough, the same front, uh, was uh, moving through northern Illinois, southern parts of Wisconsin the previous day. The first Monday of October, this same system moved through northern Illinois, southern Wisconsin, uh, and we were expecting potentially some severe weather there, and we really didn't see any with that, uh, with that setup. There was a lot of cloud cover that outran the front. Some preceding showers from the previous night uh, produced uh, enough cloud cover that there really wasn't enough instability to get any severe weather firing there. And it was the same system the next day that uh, we encountered some warmer air near the ground, uh, and there wasn't as much cloud cover ahead of this, so there was just enough instability to get these updrafts going. And uh, fast forward to around uh, 2.40, 2.45 Eastern time, and we had uh, a tornado on the ground in Crawford County, PA. Uh, and, and more than just the typical tornado warning in the Northeast where you might have a uh, sign of rotation aloft, the Weather Service issues warnings. In this case, there was ground truth to it. There were confirmed reports that a, a nursing home was struck and uh, there were more eyeballs on this that the tornado was still on the ground. And then immediately we began to see other uh, rotating supercells as well. So these were almost plain-style storms that were developing in the middle of the afternoon. About how many tornado warnings were out? Uh, at one point, there were five in Pennsylvania at the same time. And I counted 39 tornado warnings overall from far eastern Ohio through Connecticut uh, for the entire event, which mainly ran from around 2.40 p.m., uh, until the uh, middle of the evening. By 9 o'clock, uh, the final warning, which had been in effect for uh, north-central New Jersey, had expired. Right, and you're pretty familiar with this area because you had worked in the yeah, Erie I, market um, Yeah, before. so you know, I spent three and a half years in uh, northwest Pennsylvania, so uh, it's a relatively small market, so you get to know three counties that we cover fairly well, and we would spill out into parts of uh, some additional surrounding counties, but but Crawford County uh, is a county that's no stranger to tornadoes. They were hit hard in the, the May 31st, 1985 outbreak, Crawford and Southern Erie County, um, which set the bar for the worst tornado outbreak in Pennsylvania history. Uh, and uh, statistically, there, Lancaster County, Westmoreland County, and Crawford County have had more tornadoes than any other counties in Pennsylvania. Part of that's because they're larger geographically, but also once you get west of the spine of the Appalachians, you get into that slightly more Midwestern um, environment mm -hmm. where you do see some of those uh, the supercells that sometimes form over Ohio or Indiana make their way into Pennsylvania. In this case, they formed right over western Pennsylvania and additional ones fired right over uh, uh, parts of north-central PA as well. Oh, wow. So how, how does this event uh, rate historically? Well, for Pennsylvania, it was the fourth most prolific day for tornadoes, if you look at a single day. Uh, and the most unusual thing, you know, we typically see our tornadoes anywhere from mid-May until early August in the Northeast. Uh, this was very rare because we're dealing with an August weather pattern into October. Uh, so in all of Pennsylvania history, at least in the modern era of tornado record keeping, if you go from, from 1950 through the first Monday of October this year, there had been 13 uh, tornadoes in the month of October in Pennsylvania, if you add them all up. Mm -hmm. And we had 14 
on Tuesday alone. Wow. Yeah. So it's yeah. pretty amazing that we, we stacked them up like that, and uh, these were all confirmed. And throughout the entire week, you know, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, uh, the Weather Service offices, uh, among the five offices that cover Pennsylvania, plus the folks in Upton, New York, that cover uh, southwest Connecticut, Long Island, and, um, and areas like Rockland County and Westchester County, and then also the Weather Service in Boston, uh, they were out um, all investigating damage. And, um, you know, even on Friday, the tornado count went from 18 for the storm event to 19 when the Weather Service in Pittsburgh discovered uh, another separate track. Wow, which is pretty unbelievable by October standards yeah, when you're absolutely. thinking about October. Absolutely. Right. So it was an amazing event. You know, it's easy to think that um, this was the big one for Pennsylvania, but in, just for perspective, it was the big one for the fall. But we look back to May 31st of 1985, and in that case, we had 80 to 90 killed in the Northeast, uh, and there were hundreds injured. In this case, most of these tornadoes moved through rural areas, and there are somewhat conflicting reports whether there was one injury or two injuries at that nursing home in Conneautville. There were 162 people present, or 163 present uh, at the time, and there were either one or two minor injuries. So uh, we did, you know, pretty well in avoiding true terror with this, but it was a big mm -hmm. one. And there, were, there was one on Long Island, um, and then there were, there were two in uh, other parts of far southern New York, just north of New York City in Westchester County and Rockland County. And then uh, the Weather Service in Boston confirmed another one in northeastern Connecticut as well. So it was a big event. Yeah, it was an unusual event for this time of year. So thanks for breaking it down for me, Jeff. Anytime. Thanks for having me on. Well, one of my favorite times of year is the fall in the northeast. And next up, we're going to be taking a look at the fall foliage forecast. Say that three times fast. Fall foliage <laughs> forecast. <laughs> uh, you, you can't beat those beautiful colors on the trees you uh, during the fall. We're going to find out what locations will be nicest for fall foliage this year coming up. But first, tell folks where they can find us. That's right. You can find the AccuWeather Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, where everywhere you find your favorite podcasts, or you can just go to AccuWeather.com slash podcast. Well, Andy and I are joined in the studio now by Max Vito, and uh, I want to thank you for sitting down with us today, Max. You're welcome. It's nice to be here. Yeah, it's great to have you. You wrote the book on uh, the fall foliage. Well, not the book. Not you wrote sure the article. The <laughs> I helped out the with the article. <laughs> right. I provided some quotes. <laughs> right, right. So, But we're talking about fall foliage and where we're going to see, you know, the really nice, vibrant color this year, maybe the areas that are duds. And uh, Max, you know, the one thing I was thinking before we sat down for this interview is just just what a weird year it's been like the summer the season yeah have, have been incredible right um, especially across the east where it's been you know there's been some record wetness uh, into the mid-atlantic and it's really been wet through the appalachians in the midwest as well and a lot of warmth too and i think these components are going to play a role here for the beginning of the fall foliage season, and I think we're already seeing some of that uh, those impacts right now. The one thing we were talking about was the the different components. So, right. like, kind of before we get into where we're see going to see the best color, what are some of the key components that we need to really make good color? Right. So there's there's several ingredients that go into fall foliage. Uh, the first one it's the shortening of days. Uh, and longer nights. And then there's also the changing weather patterns. So generally the arrival of the cooler weather we see during the fall months. Uh, so with the change to cooler weather, what we get is the development of the abscission layer, which divides the stem from the leaf. See, I got and a new word now. Yes. See, I'm going to throw that around in conversation yeah. when I get <laughs> 
That's, that's a great word. Yes. Incision layer. Yeah, I'm not a biologist or whatever, but you can look these things up. Right. Yeah. So uh, with the process, we start to see a reduction in the chlorophyll in the leaf, and it's the chlorophyll that provides the green pigment and masks all the other colors, so your oranges and your yellows. Once we start getting cool overnight and this abscission layer develops, we start to see the, the green colored leave the leaves and all these other nice, beautiful colors start to come out. Uh, the other thing we wanna see is sunshine. So once this abscission layer develops, chlorophyll is no longer uh, in the plant, so we, we lost the green color, uh, but we get sugars that respond to the sunshine to produce most you know, robustly with sunshine. These sugars help get the, the red and purple pigments that get the best vibrancy uh, for the fall foliage. So you want cool nights to kick off the, uh, the abscission layer growth, and you want a lot of sunshine during the day to get the most vibrant colors. This year, really, uh, at least where we live, so we're, right. we're you know, in central Pennsylvania. Yeah, it's been kind of Right cloudier. in the middle of the Appalachians. Right? Yeah, it's been cloudier. So what is the east going to, because it has been weird yeah. in the east. So what's it going to look like here this year? So uh, overall, I think the season looks pretty good for the folks up in New England. They haven't seen as much moisture this summer. Um, and there's there's been a few dry places in northern New England. But overall, for the region, it's been warm and not too wet. And I think they'll have a pretty good season up there. We're already seeing a lot of colors up in northern New Hampshire, Maine, um, Vermont, and a lot of the mountain ranges up there. And that's typically where you know people go for the sightseeing. Mm -hmm. And that's good because I think it's going to be a good season up there. Farther south around here, we being in central Pennsylvania and then right. down through the Appalachians and out in the Midwest, it's been so wet. It's been so warm. And... With that, we've seen a lot of cloud cover, not a whole lot of sunshine. So that's going to, you know, prevent the those red and purple colors from really developing. And it's going to be a season, I think, more dominated by the yellows, the oranges, a little less vibrant than normal. Right. Because you need yeah. that. Yeah. Because you need that sunshine, uh, you know, that bright sunshine. And a lot of times this time of year, we've got these beautiful, brilliant, clear, crystal clear fall days with low humidity. Mm. And we just have not right. seen it. And it's been so warm overnight still. So... Right. The, 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 there hasn't been much color change at all yet because that abscission layer hasn't developed. So the green, mm -hmm. uh, the chlorophyll, it's still in the leaves. Right. So uh, I think that's that's going to be the thing. It's going to be a delayed season um, in parts of the northeast, mainly mainly the southern portions and mid-Atlantic, uh, and then also a little less vibrant than normal. I think those are the, the, the big things to hit on this year for the foliage season. One thing that's working for, uh, well for the season right now is the the lack of leaf drop. A lot of leaves are still in the trees because we haven't seen a lot of strong systems uh, with wind stripping right. the, the leaves from the trees. What we're going to have to watch out for is like once this we get these cooler nights and this abscission layer develops and we do get a strong wind event late in the month, in the beginning of November, uh, we'll have to watch if that wind can strip the, the, the leaves from the trees before they really develop into uh, any vibrant color. So we're going to be watching for that. Hopefully we don't see those strong right. systems later on, later on the month. Well, and the other thing that I noticed, too, is um, I've noticed uh, leaves going from green to brown dropping dead, not mm -hmm. dropping with color, like... Uh, because it's been so wet, and yeah. I'm wondering how stressed yeah. maybe the roots are. Right, so like another byproduct of the abnormally wet pattern during the late summer and the beginning part of fall, it'll be the relevance of fungus, molds, and disease that's going to thrive off those increased moisture levels. So we'll need to watch out for this in parts of the mid-Atlantic uh, and the Midwest. And I think, we're, like you said, we're already seeing some of this happening mm -hmm. and, and some 
uh, you know, some uh, some leaf drop uh, before the, the leaves really changed colors. Okay. And how about out west? What do you yeah. think out there? So, yeah, we were chatting about this a little, little bit mm-hmm. beforehand. Um, it, it differs from region to region. There's a lot of microclimates as a result of the terrain uh, in the west. And there has been some drought lingering from the winter last year in the southwest. There's not a whole lot of, uh, you know, broadleaf trees in those areas. Farther north, uh, northern Rockies and the northwest, they've seen a good amount of rain um, in parts of the summer. It should be pretty good out there. I've seen some nice pictures coming in from Utah Mm. and other parts of the interior west and some beautiful purple and red colors in some of the valleys out there. I think overall it will be a pretty good season. And unlike in the east, they've seen an influx of that colder air already uh, in September in the beginning part of October. All right. So we're looking at northeast. Uh, extreme northeast yes. up into New England being one of the nicer locations so. and also parts of the uh, northwest. Yes, west. Uh, west in general, I think, would be pretty good. Okay. All right. Well, thanks so much, Max. Oh, you're welcome. Thanks for having me. Sure. Well, thank you to our guest and thank you for listening to our AccuWeather podcast. And next week, guys, we get out of the building. Right. We're live on location. Yeah. Andy, too. Andy. We're actually going to take Andy out of the building. Wow. Isn't that great? It's going to be fun. <laughs> <laughs> We're live on Penn State's campus because uh, if you listen back to one of our older podcasts, we are going to be doing the Hack PSU with our friends with the API team. Right. If you want to kind of catch up on what this is, you can go back to the Future Is Now episode because that's where we talked about uh, it's basically smart technology and how it's in everything, everywhere, and AccuWeather has a big role in that. So we are going to hack PSU and uh, we're going to see what these guys come up with. We're basically going to be the dumbest people in this room. We are. That's where we show up. (laughs) I'm totally agreeing with you. Like, I didn't give you any support there, Ken, and say, no, you're not dumb, Ken. No, we are actually, yeah, we're reporting on, yeah, we're reporting on what the smart people do. That's what we're there for. So make sure you tune in to hear what a lot of people a lot smarter than us come up with. (laughs) (laughs) We're right back here next week. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. Be sure to subscribe to the AccuWeather podcast, giving you the stories behind the weather, discussions on trending weather topics, and so much more. New episodes every Thursday. Just search for AccuWeather on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you find your favorite shows. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.